All right, I feel like uh, every time we have a repeat guest on, when they come back, they have a new project. We're here with Palma, who was on once a few months back. Now he's got a new podcast called Seeking Derangements. Yeah, it's, it's with uh, Ben Mora, the guy that got fired from the Bernie campaign. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's uh, working with organizing now, and I'm, I'm just helping him. Or we're helping each other so uh, being gay online. It's two guys who, uh, one guy who got fired from the Bernie campaign and one guy who's unhirable by the Bernie campaign. Yeah. Yeah, we're both kind of in the same boat now. Palma, uh, you've been fired from Twitter how many times? I literally lost count. Have lost count so many times. Does your current Twitter handle use all the normal letters or are you using like a lowercase L for an I again or something? Oh, you know I'm using that fucking app right, <laughs> okay. right now, brother. Yeah, uh, it, it's like my eighth account now or ninth account. <laughs> you should go so on this Gab. Is, this is what I was saying I to go you on, Gab. on Twitter that um, you're posting for two now, now that you've got the podcast. So you got to be a little bit more careful. I mean, when we started E1, Branson and Andrew each got banned one more time. And since then, there's a ban on getting banned. You know, you got to take it serious now. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I can't fuck with my money now. That's Ben's money, too. You know what I mean? Exactly. You know, you're starting a podcast family. We're starting a podcast family. You know, first comes a a podcast or comes a Patreon. And then, you know, bam, (laughs) we're moving in together, (laughs) buying a focus right with like 18 inputs. Yeah. Yeah. Buying a soundboard, all that. <laughs> Booking your first live show eventually. Booking our first, oh God. Yeah, yeah, we're having our first live show at like fucking, uh, like the, the shittiest uh, like strip club you can find. But just going there in a tour bus. Just yeah. <laughs> Not even, just like a Winnebago. <laughs> no, uh, Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. That's right. Oh God. Pimped out Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. Yeah. E150, e- e- you know, from Craigslist. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's an honor to be back. I, I love this podcast to, to, the, to the moon and back. So you're here today to talk about like Yugoslav punk, post-punk, new wave. Yeah, like th- this was the first like uh, genre of music that I remember. Like I'm into this genre. I like this genre. I, I want to explore it as, as much as I possibly can. I want to find out all the secrets it has. Uh, Do you remember like how you first got into it? Yeah, I was in high school. I was listening to like new wave stuff from America, like uh, you know the Nerves, Power Pop, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, like Talking Heads, that 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 kind of area. And then I, I, I kind of got into uh, punk. The guitarist from the Nerds, the Nerds, the Nerves. I met him years and, and years really? ago. He was playing at a state fair. That guy's a pimp. Hell yeah! That, that guy should have gotten. A, a bigger royalty check from Blondie. Agree. Yeah. I totally agree. I think it was agree. the other yeah. guy who wrote the song, the bass oh, player. Oh, yeah. The, the guy who did the Plimsolls or whatever? Yeah. I think yeah. The, the Nerves split into like two bands, right? It was the guitar player and then the, and then the guy that wrote Hanging on the Telephone. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Great song. Sad story, but great song. Yeah. Anyway, I, I was listening to that at the, at the time and I, I think it was like this one website called Radio with like seven O's where you can just like look at whatever... Um, was popular at any point in time in any country in the world. Yeah, and that's all like user submitted. That's a totally great. Uh, I have that. I reinstalled that uh, last night. Actually, I love that thing. And for Yugoslavia, yeah. it goes back to like 1930. Um, and there's like a yeah. there's a weird button on the the sort of like tabs above, so you could just get like mm-hmm. kind of anything between like field recordings and then just like bizarre demos that went like novelty yeah novelty songs from the 50s too yeah really good shit toothpaste ads yeah that rocks anyway like that's how i got into this this crap that rules man that's that's amazing yeah so pimp never look back did you so when you started listening to these songs were you like were you trying to translate lyrics or you just kind of dug into the whole thing like the political background and everything well not just that i mean both because i i think that uh or or at least like this scene in particular was the first that struck me as oh like these people have like a solid literary you know pedigree like these people have something to say and it's interesting to hear what they have to say like with punk like punk's embarrassing to listen to yeah it's all about like i want to fuck i want to i want to have sex this that and the other fuck fuck the queen fuck the president all that it's like all right whatever man like that's that's nothing new Wait, Palma, like, when they say fuck the queen, do you think that actually means they want to fuck the queen? 
Maybe they're into grannies. I don't know. They were transgressive, you know? so I would say, yeah, you know. Even back then, she didn't look that good. Yeah, she she's busted. Yeah. It is a lot like more her. transgressive to fuck the queen than to say fuck the queen. It's true. Absolutely. But the queen but, won. I mean, punk lost. If if punk's material goals were to stop the Falklands War and um and take down the monarchy in England, like sorry, they fucking yeah. lost. Look who's still standing <laughs> 40 years later. 50 That's years right. later. Yeah. That's right. P- punk lasted like 3 years and uh, you know, the queen, her majesty the queen has been trapping out that motherfucker for, you know, 50 something years now. I'm looking if she at fucking a, made an album, then we would have to acknowledge it as a classic, but she didn't have the foresight. I'm looking at a That's Canadian right. $10 bill and I'm I'm looking at Elizabeth's beautiful face and I'm thinking about uh just what a total fucking joke Johnny Rotten is. <laughs> yeah, he's not on a Canadian uh note. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's his loss, I guess. Maybe less do less heroin, brother. Yeah. Uh, write better songs. <laughs> learn more chords. <laughs> Stop being so angry. Go to therapy. Yeah, you know, like yeah. listen to jazz punk. If punk is three chords in the truth, the queen needed zero chords to outlast all of them. That's right. Yeah, she had uh, more than the truth. She had divine right to rule. <laughs> yeah. Fucking try to beat that, you little little twat. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, well, I think I want to turn the questions around on Dan also because, Dan, since you're into this music too, maybe you should talk about how you came to it. Well, I when I started touring Eastern Europe like like 12 or 13 years ago, uh, I, you know, i go play shows and the first thing I'd want to do if I had a day off is go buy records and I'd want to buy records from the region I was in. So, you know, we played in Poland and... I just asked people, okay, what do I need to, like, what do I need to buy in this genre? Which was, you know, either punk or post-punk, you know, just underground music from like late seventies, early eighties. And it was really interesting in central Europe. Uh, I would buy these records and listen to them and I always be kind of disappointed. Um, no disrespect to my Polish friends who, who love their Polish post-punk, but there was always something just kind of off about them. Like they seemed a little derivative and then kind of happened sort of later on the timeline you could tell that they were they were definitely being influenced by bands in the uk and sort of direct almost directly ripping them off but then putting their own like the like the uh the real creativity was always in the lyrics which were impenetrable yeah, screwing in th- that extra light bulb you know? yeah exactly <laughs> Impeta- <laughs> uh, just like impenetrable to me and they all all these all these releases would have come out on state record labels right so they depending on the uh, sort of openness of the society that the, that uh, the music was being made in, you would get you would get either uh, sort of very banal sentiments, you know, from places that had more of a clampdown going on. And then when I went to when I went and played Belgrade and uh, Zagreb, I didn't I didn't even have to go to the record store. Like the promoters uh, just essentially brought like a stack of CDs and like mix mix CDs and stuff like that. And we're like, check this out. And I was just completely blown away. Like it seemed like the bands that were doing the same type of music in Yugoslavia at the same on the same timeline were like light years ahead of everybody else in the Eastern Bloc. Now Dan, do you remember what the first uh like Yugoslavian post punk record you ever listened to was? Yeah. It, or or I, do you remember? Yeah, and it's not I, I mean in terms of musicality, it's not a, or I don't know aesthetics. It's not exactly as edgy as the other stuff that I'd listen to later on. But um, Azra, I listened to the first oh yeah first two Azra records, and yeah, you can hear like the influence of sixties and sixties folk music, Balkan music, hard rock too. Hard rock, like, yeah. There's a big hard they're like, hard rock scene. They're there. a fucking folk, like a mix between a folk and hard rock band, basically. But they but they were punk. They had an attitude that. We were kind of talking about this on the last episode with television, you know, mm-hmm. television doesn't pr- oh, yeah. present as punk or post-punk, but there is just something about them that lets them fit in that, to that genre. Th- yeah, that, that's the that's the space they fit in the most. Like, I, I don't think television would fit in any other genre other than uh, post-punk. Yeah. Well, I think punk, the conclusion, even though, like, mostly recorded the conclusion we that. came to was that they're either the last classic rock band or the first indie rock band. Yes, definitely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, put put that in the canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the first one that I listened to was 
uh, film uh, Katsim Lad, like the single. So good. Uh, such a, a great like power pop song, like expert pop, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, music and, and, and great lyrics too. like just great, fun, like carefree, and, and don't, like don't have a care in the world, you know, yeah. that, that, that sort of vibe. Uh, and then the rest of their first like live album is, is, is great too. Like a lot of great, you know, dub punk and, uh, you know, th th that sort of thing, uh, like sound. I heard, um, after Azra, I heard, uh, Prolavo Kajaliste, which has like a super famous, like, I, th I think it's kind of regarded as the first big mainstream punk record or punk record that people had a lot of access to in Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. And they had this song called Sretno Diete, uh, Lucky Kid. And, uh, it's this kind of tongue in cheek, uh, description of daily life in like a Yugoslavia where people's material needs are not necessarily being met. I mean, if those, if those guys had have known that, you know, uh, less than 20 years in the future, they, they would they'd be worried about a, uh, a lot more, uh, a lot more basic, basic, yeah, basic, basic things. But at the time, like, am I going to survive the day? It, are we gonna, is my house going to get shelled tonight? Yeah. Or I'm going to get fucking conscripted into uh Tujman's army and, uh, have to go, have to go fight Serbs, you know, like, so, yeah. but listening to the lyrics of that song and, and that song definitely falls in the hard rock category, but Sretno Diete, it was like transgressive on the surface, but only in the extent that the government allowed uh, it to exist. Cause all those records came out on a state record label. The bands were funded by the state. And I think that the Yugoslav government made this genius move that a lot of other communist socialist and communist governments did not, which was that they saw this energy and this this sort of pent up creative uh, fire that that uh, this younger generation had who were feeling kind of disillusioned, and they said, "We are totally going to support this with money and venues and uh, distribution." Yeah, because if, if if that is not the outlet, then the outlet would be something worse street, or something more malicious. Yeah, it's street violence or, or yeah. a return to fascism. Like I, I remember re yeah. reading a, like a small piece. Uh, was basically a Yugoslav censor and his take was that he was like, we would rather have these kids being angry at the government structure in place and trying to change it than returning to nationalism. Like that was like the yeah, very absolutely. real danger. Like the other big difference was like in, in Yugoslavia, there was no spiral scratch. Like you couldn't go to Belgium and have your album pressed or, or whatever, like, like they did in, in Britain, you know, like you couldn't go, to the EMI, like the throwing EMI plant in, uh, in in the Netherlands, and have your you know shitty little seven inch EP, you know with like seven, yeah, you know like one minute long songs, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> like do a run of like one or two 50. chords, each. yeah, yeah, it just wasn't gonna happen, yeah. None of that, yeah. Everything had to go to the state through the state, which is how you got like such great musicianship, or not such great, but like better in comparison to like the the UK scene and the American scene and all the rest. Totally. And, uh, and the, reco because, like, the recording put money in there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, these were all recorded in like 16 track studios in Belgrade and Zagreb and all the rest. And uh, Ljubljana. Yeah. Uh, you know, compare that to like just having some, you know, 16 year old pimply faced, you know, kid from Leeds having to, you know, go to put a down payment on a two track recorder. Yeah. And, totally. Know, <laughs> yeah. Recording you on a broken four track and just. Like hoping yeah. it works out. Yeah, like RTS, like radio uh, television Serbia, uh, d was responsible for a lot of like a lot of good recordings and they had like incredible equipment. I was, I, I got to like kind of look inside there last summer when I was in Belgrade and the place is amazing. They, it's kind of, you know, I kind of fell to shit uh, during the 90s and then, and is being kind of re, I don't know, recolonized by like young creative people who are discovering there's a whole electronics uh electronic music room there that hasn't been used in like 30 years maybe oh my yeah, god they're like reconditioning these uh group of young women are like reconditioning right now and that's awesome yeah it's pretty yeah i it's mean pretty cool the cool thing about these in particular and like in this particular scene that you couldn't get anywhere else is that you're getting this these same producers that were working in like Maybe like one day they had in the morning they had a date with um, 
like a recording date with a, a disco artist. Yeah, or, or like or Goran like Bregovic or something. You know, yeah, like, it's, it's something like that. Yeah. Or or or, um, or what's her name? Fucking uh, the name will come to me. But but it's like um, like some other like big name like jazz pop or or, or funk artist. And then like afterwards, like you, you have to you know use the same studio again, the same console and everything, and switch it over to like you know three punk kids from. Novosad. Yeah, just playing like noise guitar, saxophone, and just screaming like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, and a lot, yeah, a lot of the session musicians involved in some of these albums were total ringers. They were like, you know, playing on, yeah, but almost like you said, like jazz funk records. You know, they they do multiple sessions, and uh, and they were good. I don't, not to, not to get to. I don't know whether this is like an Orientalist take or whatever, but I, w I would definitely say musicianship is more baked into Yugoslavian culture than it is to in uh, into say British culture or something. I don't think it's it's like Orientalist in, in particular, but it, it is like something that I've noticed like with with Polish and 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 the other Eastern European and like Warsaw Pact countries where. Uh, musicianship was prized more than just like oh like uh, the ability to create music, uh, you know the ability to play it was 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 prized as well. Yeah, because in a lot of uh, I mean especially in Balkan culture, it is part of a very deep social function. Like it serves a social function. You're going to play at the kafana. You'll play at a wedding. You're you know it's it's more wrapped into yeah. the culture and it and it gives people something that they need. So it's true, North Korea. Oh yeah, have you seen like the those like theater troops that they have like uh, for for tourists and shit, where, it's, where like they, they they play out like the the birth of, of uh, Kim Il Sung and yeah. you know or, yeah. or Kim, yeah. uh, like uh, up in whatever mountain or whatever and it's you know five hundred people on a stage expertly choreographed because you know they're gonna get fucking beaten to death if they miss a, a beat or they miss a jump or whatever. Well, shit, I think there's I, an opening in North America works. to be the first artist to do something about the birth of Kim Il Sung. Definitely, from like a, a Western rock band yeah. perspective. I'll take, I'll take it, man. <laughs> I, uh, Fuck it, why not? I had a like firsthand experience with the North Korean sort of North Korean musical culture. I went to. Uh, a North Korean restaurant in Moscow in 2011 when I was there playing a show huh. with the handsome furs and it was a totally bizarre experience. It was like, you know, there's state propaganda playing on giant TVs. The food was excellent. And, uh, the, the servers were these two younger women and they spoke English and they heard us speaking English. So as we were leaving, they were like, what are you doing in Moscow? And we were like, Oh, we're in a band we're playing a show. And they said, we play music. And I said, what do you play? And they say, well, we play traditional North Korean folk songs. And sometimes we play the Beatles. And I was like, what song do you play? <laughs> and they said, we play the song Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> and I, I really wish I had, I got, uh, I, th I think they did music like one night a week and we were not not there on the right night. But I would love to see like North Korean operatives playing a very somber version of yesterday. This sounds like something that would happen in a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> yeah, like everything around there is, is fucking... It's either Wes Anderson or Leviathan. Um, yeah. I think between. maybe we should uh, get into a few tracks of this kind of music. Yes, uh, yes, let's. That's a pretty good intro here. Yeah, um... I, I think we're going to start with some of the more like dub uh, tracks, sure, or like uh, dub influence tracks, because uh, I, I think at the time, like the, the school of punk at the time was, yeah, they had like the Public Image Limited, where you know it was kind of dominated by uh, like th th that type of music, where, where the bass had had more of a dub reggae energy, yeah, yeah and that was kind of like what they were listening at the time, and that was like Public Image was these guys' influence. Cool. Uh, That's what well I was wondering. As, you know, I think I've... you sort of answered my question I was going to have for me then, because like my understanding anyway is that dub basically came to the UK because of like Jamaica, where it was like the UK had colonized Jamaica, right? Yes. And like, it sort of came uh -huh. through that pathway. And then from the UK to Yugoslavia via stuff like Public Image Limited, you're saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like uh, it was very popular at the time, like to be part of the, that, the counterculture then. Like in the 60s, the, the counterculture was like, oh, like you're, you're listening to Scott and all that. That's nice. But like it, it was much, it, it, there wasn't that much racial 
uh, integration or racial awareness at the time of the 60s. Yeah. Uh, and eventually, like in the 70s, once, once they realized, okay, like all these black people are living, still living in council flats, where, whereas like all the white people are you know, moving into the suburbs or, or, or moving away from, from council flats and, and no longer living in such poverty, uh, where they have to like depend on the government all the time for, for their quarters. Uh, like in the 70s, like that's more or less around the time when uh, dub became like the, the sound du jour for the counterculture, cool. uh, yeah. as well as punk. So what's, what's uh, the first thing we're going to listen to here? So, uh, we, we have this great band called uh, Idoli, right? Uh, it, they put out a couple of LPs on the uh, state record label, but uh, the best thing about them is that they're incredibly literate. Uh, this is from a cut from an album called uh, uh, Odbrana i Poslajidani. Like, I, I know I, I mispronounced that, but it means basically uh, something to do with the end of the world. But um, yeah. it, it's, it's the name of uh, an old uh, Yugoslavian novel, cool. which Let's was like out. a classic at the time. <laughs> Lots of stereo panning, little oh, yeah. psychedelic shit. I love this song, it's so good. Yeah, I think getting back to what you guys were talking about earlier, it sounds really good. Like, they had access to clearly, like, you know, a great fucking studio to record this at. Yeah, there was definitely there's cash behind it. I mean, in the case of Idoli, these guys were in a jazz pop band called Merlin before they had like huh. a sort of aesthetic epiphany around punk music. Yeah, like this this is like the, the paragon of like uh, Yugoslavia New Wave. Like this is the high water mark. Yep. And I don't think it, it, it's very hard. And, and, and uh, a lot of people did give it their the, the old college try to get you know close to that level. And a lot of people did. Uh, Especially people in, in who are going to listen to later, but like this, like for new wave, like this is my absolute favorite track. Yeah, they kind of ever like a, any new wave. They kind of perfected it weirdly, you know. Yeah, no, like first time out the gate, done. This band is uh, really interesting because they also they also had a uh, like a minor hit, and uh, I think it was like right after this came out, like maybe nineteen eighty one. Uh, called Retko Te Vidam Sa Devoikama, which, mean, uh-huh. which means I, uh, I hardly ever see you with girls. So, it, so it's basically like just a, a gay hit, you know? Like every, <laughs> it's kind of amazing for the time and the place. Yeah, it's uh, like around the time, like um, this is like a theme in a lot of like Yugoslavia New Wave is uh, like a very laissez-faire attitude towards sex and, and sexuality and that sort of thing. Um, like a, a lot of the synth pop bands and, and stuff like that sound a lot like uh, whatever, uh, like in uh, A Clockwork Orange, you know, like that that sort of uh, vibe where it was like very sexual, sexually charged. Uh, and, and it was just like whatever for, for people like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the bands that we're going to listen to later is called Video Sex. And... Uh, the song called uh, I mean, there's another song called "Video Sex" that they played, and it's, it all has to do with like teledildonics, which is <laughs> the term for <laughs> uh, like remote-controlled masturbation. Anyway, Alma, have you ever seen the? Uh, I forget what the magazine is called. Uh, there's an incredible uh, Yugoslavian computer magazine. It's just basically like they put out this computer called the Galaxia, which was like a like a Yugoslav made home computer and this magazine functioned to basically let you know how to program it so they would just be filled with like code and you would you would program it but the covers were these super transgressive like hyper sexualized men and women every month so pimp it's so rad so yeah. pimp that rocks <laughs> yeah it was just like futurism and sex and then just a magazine filled with code for your clunky uh, socialist <laughs> computer <laughs> what can i tell you sex sells all right so uh what song do we got next here dan this is all yours i, I don't know how familiar you are with with this band we're gonna but, be checking uh, out you can call me al by paul simon yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly of course he owns all the masters naturally i'm not as familiar with uh charlo acrobata i mean i know them i don't know any of the history i just know the song is uh pretty great yeah well i, I know a little bit about them I, I did a little bit of research uh when i was younger 
And these guys, like, they, they just put out the one record and, and disbanded. But, um, but these are much more punk. Like, they, they take that uh, idoli, like, ethos where like, they're into literate pop, that sort of thing, and, and they just, like, turn the pop all the way down to zero and turn the punk all the way up to 11. We got some uh, little ska like, upstrokes here. Well, this is this, yeah. It's a pretty big ska influence in a lot of uh, a lot of this like Balkan new wave stuff because uh, there is kind of like ska reggae became really popular in Yugoslavia because it shares a lot of like rhythmic elements with uh, sort of Balkan brass band music. Okay, interesting. But these last these last two bands are both from Belgrade, right? Like, or Idoli was Novi Sad via Belgrade, and Shalo yes. Akrobata is. Is Belgrade as well. So there's kind of a rivalry, or not, like a friendly, <laughs> seems weird to say rivalry, a friendly rivalry between uh, Zagreb based bands, Ljubljana based bands, and uh, Belgrade based bands. But Belgrade was like undeniably kind of the center of the scene. Yeah, like um, it, it, in, in terms of like uh, like how Acrimonious' rivalry was, I mean, these guys were all putting, put together on one like LP. For like a sampler, yeah. Like back when punk was kind of this, or post-punk rather, was this like novelty. Yeah. Uh, the, the Serbian state label just like put out, you know, like hey, check this shit out, was it, you know, and uh, Novi Punk Ball or whatever. Yeah. But uh, you know, like even at the time, the sort of city by city rivalries don't really make any sense in a in, in like a post-Yugoslav ethnic context because, you know, you would have. You would have people who were nominally Croatian living for two generations in Belgrade, and, vi- and vice versa. Like people, ma- yeah. people marrying out of their sort of regional background. So it's funny and kind of sad to me when you talk to people in this like post-Yugoslav space about like which bands were from where. It seems like it's all put on after the Civil War. You know, it's it's kind of been applied retroactively. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's very strange. Like I've I've been to uh, the ex Yugoslavia. I went there last summer uh, when I went to Europe, and uh, like all the people that I talked to about uh, about that sort of thing was like, yeah, like there is no trust anymore between these uh, ethnic groups. Like after after the war, like there was no like whatever bonds that existed uh, that Tito and, and and socialism and and living in Yugoslavia formed were broken pretty much reparably, yeah. at least in, in the short and medium term. I, and I think, uh, I'm not sure about the long term. I think it's hard for people who are, you know, maybe my age and older, or uh, who are sort of my age and younger to imagine like a multi-ethnic Yugoslavian state, you know? I mean, they can imagine mm-hmm. it, but I think it's hard for them to really con- like imagine living in it. Practically. Yeah, see practically it, yeah. see it. And it's, I mean, there are some posi- positive to I think I think like memory politics in a way like if it, if they are if they are lighter and more focused on art because uh, I, I have a tattoo uh, from the band Azra like from this they made a double live album called Ravno Dodna or Triple Live actually <laughs> three discs uh, holy shit yeah and um, I'd like to see Public Image Limited put out a fucking three disc album on there. Actually, never mind. They I'd like to see with, the uh, Queen put out a three disc album. Yeah, Jesus Christ! But like, yeah. no matter where I go, you know, if I'm playing in Bosnia or playing in Macedonia or Serbia, if people notice the tattoo, ninety percent of the time they're just super stoked to think about Azra and think about a band that has people from you know all over Yugoslavia in it that everybody enjoyed. Yeah, that's a good point. I think um, like music and food both play that role a lot of the time as like a cultural thing that can transcend politics in certain ways. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, the, the the most important thing, of course, about the music is uh, that these folks were like not just like looking inward at you know at the literary uh, uh, influences that they have. Like of, of which Yugoslavia has like an incredible rich. Uh, literary uh, tradition and, and it continues to this very day but th- they were also looking at you know public image and, and dub and all the rest for you know for the fun part <laughs> for sure all right yeah. so what's this next song we got here oh this is so this next one film. Oh, go, go on go this is all you 
Uh, I was just going to talk about how, so this, this band is actually from Zagreb and, uh, Jura Stublich, uh, the vocalist is, uh, is basically, he tried out for Azra and got fired by, uh, Johnny Stulich. So, yeah, uh, this is, uh, the studio version of, uh, like one of their first hits, which was recorded live in, in Zagreb. Cause I think at the time, like what, what the point was, was they didn't, I think it would like just been turned down for Azra and like they were starting to play live shows and as film. And um, I, I think the point was like they were going to record the album on their own. Yeah. But and then like their own, you know, the, like the very fact that it was a live album could prove to the record company like, OK, look, we have a fan base. We have a large following. We're not that. Uh, like we're not rabble rousers. Like, can you please let us please, <laughs> please let us record like a proper album? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that was basically like the, the conceit. And if anybody knows, uh, you know, please tell me, please correct me. But I, I believe that this is what it is. And this is also produced by, um, uh, yeah, Boris Bella, who's like a member of a, another Yugo punk band called Bulldozer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Bulldozer and uh, BJLO Dujme were like hard rock bands before this as well. Yeah, right? kind of pro, proto-punk. Uh, BJLO Dugma, very much more on the hard rock tip, but there's a there's a really nice uh, intergenerational thing in, in with these going on with these bands where you've got established musicians uh like really going out of their way to embrace this new form of music whereas yeah. Yeah. i feel like in the uk and definitely in america uh when punk sprung up there was a, there was a serious divide you know between the sort of what was perceived as like the decadent rock royalty and these like yeah, upstarts like pink floyd became lame and shit yeah yeah whereas whereas with the yugo bands you really see like a sort of cross-generational bands helping each other out and, and giving them support, you know? Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, that's more of a fact or more of a product of the uh, state involvement in, in the record industry where, like, these older guys didn't really have a fucking choice. Like, that was the yeah, totally. flavor of the moment. <laughs> yeah. And, like, they were either going to play sessions, uh, like, punk rock sessions or not at all. Yeah, they needed work. You know? Or just disco. I mean, we're not covering the disco scene, but I, I got to say, like, the Yugoslavia disco scene might be like single for single, pound for pound, even better than the punk scene. Oh, absolutely. I, I could go on forever about the fucking disco scene. It's so good. Just the influence of uh, like Italo disco on the Balkans and how they sort of took that raw material and like scraped all the cheese off of it, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they, they literally just took all that and, and, and threw away the, all the most expensive shit that was, you know, all, all, the, all the fluff. Yeah. And, and you're left with pure fucking gold, man. It's insane. This is a cool band, you know? Like, you've, I'm watching the video right now. I'm looking at these guys. They're all, like, weird freaks, just all dressed in yeah. black. Yeah, like, the, these guys were absolutely more literary than the, the next uh, band that we're going to listen to. I like the juxtaposition of, like, the leather and the sunglasses and shit with the way they sort of, like, awkwardly shuffle a little bit when they're singing. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're nerds in in punk clothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, uh, film film rocks. Uh, I was never really able to get into their, their after their first album. Like I was never really able to get into that because uh, they got like way too polished and like too like pop rocky. But uh, yeah, there's kind of like diminishing diminishing returns with film, definitely. Yeah, yeah, uh, they they recorded a lot of their first you know output with like. Uh, like mid '90s, like pop sensibilities, which does not translate, does not work well. But oh my god, the, this this first couple, like the first couple releases that they put out, flawless. Cool. Let's move on to the next one here. Yeah, tell us about Party Breakers. Oh, I, I can't tell you anything about Party Breakers. I just like the music. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was hoping you'd be able to illuminate me rather. I know Party Breakers kind of, um, kind of made like. Uh, how do you say it? Like global, they came to sort of global prominence during the Yugoslavian civil war because uh, Johnny Depp was like filmed hanging out with them at one point. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, t- to me, they're, they're kind of like a mystery. They're just like punk rockers, and that's it. Yeah, they're more... I'm sure there's more to it. They're definitely less on the art rock tip than everything else we're about to listen to. Yeah, I was just going to say, this is the most, like, transparently guitar-based song yet. It's just sort of like overdriven power chord rock. Yeah, they're, I mean, they barely really fit into that sort of Belgrade new wave scene. They were more like a Stooges, Rolling Stones type band, you know? R&B. They were an R&B band. For sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but absolute, like, banger of this track. Insane, like, energy all the way through the LP. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this record is great. And again, like, so this record was produced by uh, Dusan Kojic, who's in uh, another sort of, like, famous and super weird uh, Yugo post-punk band called Disciplini Kishma. Oh, yes. Uh, I I wish we had enough time to... Uh, play some of their music. Maybe you can find something but, uh, real quick. Yeah, that band rules. It's just basically like bass, drums, and horns, and uh, gang vocals. Oh yeah. And they had a really weird. They had a really weird like afterlife. So they 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 got, they got huge for a while, and then um, I don't. I think it's I think it's Koja uh, or Dusan Kojic ended up moving to the UK during the war and restarting Discipline Kishma as like a drum and bass project, which is fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, of course, like as in any post-punk, you know, like that, that, that break, like, sorry, that meeting of the waters is uh, in, in post-punk. There, there's this fork in the road, right? You have either like dub punk, you know, uh, you know, reggae, ska, dub-influenced punk. And on the other hand, you have like a lot of nerds playing with fucking synthesizers in the bedroom and chain-smoking cigarettes. That's right. And uh, I think that's where we're going to pivot to now. Yeah, that's cool. uh, the next thing we got up. Cool. So you mentioned these guys earlier, Video Sex. Yeah, these guys are, are pimp as hell. They um, they started out in the, in the mid-'80s, like after this whole punk thing had really started. They're more synth-pop than anything else, but... Um, the the guy that did the synths is is absolutely insane. Like just going fucking crazy, tickling tickling the ivories, patching shit in, uh, like great like proto disco, um, high energy uh, kind of vibe. Yeah, that yeah. intro was really cool already. Yeah, this album is amazing. Like, no, zero qualifier for me. Just, like, go out, find, find this record, and, and buy it immediately. You will not be disappointed. This rocks. Like, please, like, b- before, like, w- when, the, when your Trump bucks come in the mail. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Dan, like, you're not going to get those. Buttons. I'm not getting any Trump bucks. No, no he gets more. Yeah, just, just get go your out and buy that bucks. immediately. <laughs> This is, uh, uh it, every time I hear this song, I'm like, this is what I wish the chromatics sounded like, you know, like a little, yes. a little less gloomy, a little less self-aware, like more fun, but also it's got that like minor key slickness, you know, with the, the kind of plasticky sense. I love it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and what's your name on the vocals? Just like absolutely murdering the mic. Just yeah. goddamn. Yeah. yeah. The vocals rock. The rhythm section is really cool. Like that bass tone is awesome. Super good use of stereo panning on all the pads and FM sounds going on here. Yeah, totally. Oh yeah, they're they're using those those sixteen tracks to their full potential. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's they maybe have four instruments up, but yeah, everything's going to every track. It's great. Yeah, like th- this is one of those albums where y- you have to really, really find a flaw, yeah. and have to try really hard. I've I've been listening to this thing for like five, six years now, and uh, completely flawless. Uh, again, a lot of like sexual themes. There's a couple of songs on there about like uh, lesbian cruising <laughs> with so the Queen good. of England. Uh, there's yeah, there's there's songs about uh, like uh, ancestral relationships and uh, you know Oedipus Rex type feelings. Also about um, the Queen and her family. Yeah. <laughs> also about the Queen. 
there's there's songs about like uh like having blue balls and like not being able to be with your girlfriend so you like uh like flip on the tv and like jack off to the like weather reporter <laughs> it, it's awesome like the entire lp like front to back incredible oh so good their other lps are pretty good too by the way oh sorry go on Dan. oh no i was just reacting to the um sort of borderline medieval uh keyboard solo happening here yeah. that comes out of nowhere <laughs> oh yeah Love how they strip the baseline down too and like desyncopate it at the end. It's very craft work. Yeah. yeah. Like these guys listened to like all sorts of crut rock and like synth pop and, and it took notes. Like for sure it took notes. And it paid off. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, Anya Rupal on, on vocals, by the Anya way. Anya Rupal. Great. Queen. Um, they, they broke up in, in a couple LPs later and uh, regrouped as uh, some other band that wasn't so good. But. Um, but yeah, like the first two LPs, like Video Sex 84 and uh, Lacrima Christie, d- absolute fucking bangers. Lacrima like, Christie is ha- amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like have a bucket of water at the ready because like if you put that <laughs> motherfucker on the turntable, you are going to like start a fucking house fire. Guaranteed. We don't have it on the list, but I would I would add like a nice companion to this is uh, the Paraf record called uh, Zastave or Flag, uh, which is basically like seventeen seconds era Cure, but but maybe like more interesting arrangements and an incredible uh, female vocalist. It's just so good. It's just mm. like breezy, odd, like autumnal goth music. Made in Zagreb around the same time. I think it came out like maybe a year before this. It's like it's less uh, less fun than this, but but pretty rad. Yeah. So uh, Dan, tell us about the next the next artist because I, I I'm not very familiar with Belgrade. Uh, I like them a lot, but I'm not very familiar. I, with them. I love this band. So they, they're basically like the first uh, kind of electronic, maybe the first electropop band in Belgrade. And Belgrade is just is just Belgrade. Um, and this song, uh, Sanya's Liu Boy, is Do You Dream in Color, which is an amazing, like, like early. Oh, my God. Yeah, so good. They played, uh, they played their first show at, uh, I believe, like, the, the Student Cultural Center, um, which was this site of, like, a lot of these bands, like, Film, I think, played their first show there. Um, uh-huh. And during that show, so they... The <laughs> They had the drum machine on stage and they made the guy who programmed the drum machine stand behind the curtain. <laughs> they were just like, so we bad. want you on stage, but we don't want the audience to see you. Um, but yeah, they went on to make a, to make a really amazing debut record called Remek Depot, um, mm-hmm. which is a kind of play on the, on, on the Serbian, Serbian phrase masterpiece. Mm. But more like, like uh, Depot is deposit. But um, yeah, and uh, and they had a couple of radio hits, uh, and then just kind of disappeared, as far as I know. I heard this got reissued, but just digitally, which is a real shame because, like that, like this entire thing, like the the LP and, and the one single they put out, uh, is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. I think actually a couple of the members, um, like, went in and out of other goth. Like they sort of pivoted to goth, which makes mm-hmm. which makes sense because this is sure these records are pretty dark, you know. Yeah, definitely. That's a lot. Oh, yeah, cartoonishly Evolution. dark. Yeah, I really like the graininess of it, and I don't know if that's because this is like a vinyl rip or if that's like part of the sound intentionally. But it's very cool. Probably a little of both. I'm not surprised that this is a vinyl rip. Yeah, I'm just guessing. I mean, it, it may or may not be. I have no idea. But. I definitely, you know, like from their first, from if you listen to Remek Depot, like it's very well recorded. But um, unlike Video Sex, they're not they're not really processing these synths. They're really going for like. Uh, the sort of brutalist, like we're going to direct input this 
really nasty sounding drum machine just have it like right up front you know yeah i think that's the charm of it from hearing it right now like having 17 with zero r&b influence <laughs> yeah zero r&b influence it's all like central european uh central european electronic berlin school electronic music you know they, they sound like they're from leeds you know yeah. and the cover art is amazing too What's the other thing? Aesthetically, a lot of these bands were. You look at you look at kind of punk stuff from the UK, and there are some standouts. But a lot of the like also ran punk bands. Their album cover design stuff is just very identical and embar yeah. fucking embarrassing, you know. But like, there's a really big tradition of of design in uh, in Belgrade and and Zagreb, so it was like all applied to these records. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of has that same uh, like. It, it kind of looks like fast product or or pop oral or or maybe to a lesser extent, but uh, postcard records like that yeah. Scottish sound of young Scotland uh, visual. Yeah, absolutely. Which with postcard records, it's much more pastoral, but it, it has all you know the same kind of vibe. Where like they all you know it, it, it's very well produced, it's it's well done, uh, it's tasteful, yeah. etc. Suits the music. It's uh, yeah, like they're it's they're building these little worlds, you know, which is which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, th these other folks, like uh, uh, you know, in, in in England, that were doing their own thing, uh, you know, following the the spiral scratch, you know, liner notes, like they they were really just like pasting whatever like cardboard they had around, or or like designing whatever with like safety scissors and glue and and whatever the rest, you know, these guys were they were like really bringing the big guns. Yeah, they had state money behind. Yeah, them. they had state money, and they had people who were you know actively involved in. I don't know. Yugoslavia as a brand, I guess, if like as a brand on a global level, was really a socialist project. Like uh, last summer, I was in Rijeka and I went to go visit this. There's a museum of Yugoslav technology and design there that that is literally just a fucking pimp pet project of one guy. And uh, it's got you know they they designed a very famous telephone called the Iskra that. Uh, became like the de facto telephone of the third world hell yeah like like million they produced and sold millions of them and i was talking to him and he was like yeah yeah like like a lot of the art output and the design output had this ideological backing to it is like we're exporting good design socialism. and socialism <laughs> yeah in the form of products yeah of course it, it's kind of that same ideology that fast product had in scotland you know where, where it was we want something that looks good, not only looks good, but also like uh, fits the music, it, it, it fits our ideology, it fits our, our worldview, it fits the band's worldview, like it, it all fits together. I'm, I'm sure there were other bands in Yugoslavia that you know, may have been more nationalist or whatever at the time, or, or, or may not have had the, that same ideology as uh, the folks that were actually recorded, yeah. and, and, and who may have suffered because of it. But on the other hand, like these guys were actually pretty fucking good anyway, so. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it's not that much that we lost. You know, maybe they could have gone out to you know the rest of Europe and moved on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and we have this this beautiful you know set of of music uh, instead of whatever else they had. Yeah. Uh, on that note, do you want to move on to Max and Intro here? Yeah. Yes. Max and Intro. So. Oh, go for it. No, no, no. I was going to say, like, this is all you. Like, you introduced me to, the, to these guys like five minutes ago or five minutes before we started, and they sound fucking brilliant. Yeah. These, uh, I think this is the work of mainly one person. And, and I only heard about this last year. My friend Kepa uh, introduced me to this. Uh, Ostavi uh, Spe means uh, leave it all. But this is like. Hell yeah. Interesting to me because I, I haven't heard a lot of stuff from like the mid 80s that sounds exactly like this. And, the, and this guy was definitely plugged into, um, you know, what was going on in Belgium at the time. <laughs> like, yeah, the dark wave. There's like a, a discreet like Euro pop like uh, sensibility in here. Yeah. But you, that is not, you know, apparent in any other record from Yugoslavia at the time, I don't think. And you can really feel the, uh, yeah, you can really feel the sort of EBM vibes going on. It's like very electronic body music, like proto-industrial almost. Oh yeah.
He's got a really great song uh, as well called Belgradska Devoika, a Belgrade girl, basically. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, I'd say, almost as good as this. Yeah, no, this this bangs. Yeah, it's uh, it's got that kind of martial sequencing to it that I really like. Militant drums, like no swing on anything. Those little orchestra hits. Yeah. I'm really curious to know what gear a lot of these people use. Like I've, you know, over the years I've, I've tried to like ask people who maybe still friends with these guys or like, and I, the, the best answer I could get was, was a mix of like homemade shit stuff from Europe. Uh, and then, and then the occasional like, like Russian synth. Like I think the bail, yeah, like the, bail Greg guys, the amount of yeah. like amazing, like in, incredible, um, like obscure Soviet synth technology that it completely lost to time after the eighties and, uh, and after the, the death of the Soviet union and, and the implosion of Yugoslavia, that's completely lost to time. Yeah. Like we really lost out on that sort of shit. Yeah. I mean, you still see it floating around occasionally. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of it is just sitting in people's basements. Like, you know, just like polyvox synths, elita synths, great, like weird drum machines, you know, there was a whole par- parallel development of uh, electronic, electronic musical instruments that that just died on the vine. Now, do you know, like, who in particular is is uh, in charge of that death or that uh, extinction? Well, I th- I think I capitalism. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> is I think I, no, no, no. I, I, yeah. I know of one person in particular. Though, who's that? I, I don't know if you can catch my drift, but it's Hillary Clinton, folks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Clinton yeah, totally. bombed the 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 RTB uh, radio television Beograd uh, in 1999 during the Yugoslavian civil war. That's right, uh, or the, or the war with Kosovo rather. Yep. And uh, because this, the music studios were in the same building, I'm pretty sure like a, they must have lost a bunch of uh, master tapes and all that. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and massive shame. And people died. So. Oh, well, she made uh, she made good music to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh no. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh no, it's just... Yo, this bangs in the whip. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. I did not know there was a video to this. I really you didn't know? This in 2016. Oh, for the listeners, I've played uh, Fight Song, the cover version, with all the celebrities for Hillary Clinton. Damn, they really went um, We Are the World on this shit. It's the cast of Pitch Perfect. What the hell is that? It's I've a show about uh, acapella singers, I think. <laughs> I've never seen this before, and I fucking hate it. It's uh, absolutely awful. Can't wait to see the Joe Biden equivalent of this in like two months. The <laughs> yes. thing is, it's not even going to exist because people like him even less than Hillary. Yeah, who would Someone's go on the like, Joe Biden version of this? What me. celebs? Yeah, there's literally no enthusiasm from anyone under like 70 for him, so... Maybe you can get like some really old classic rock guys out of retirement, but I don't even think you could. Just Lindsey Buckingham alone. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, you, you know he's getting paid in cocaine. Yeah, definitely. For sure. You can find like a new guitar. class of grifters, like the new like liberal diamond and silk might come out of the woodwork to become singers for this, for Joe Biden. Yeah, it's called seeking derangement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be diamonds. Who wants to be silk? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. Like, if Ben got fired from the Bernie campaign, it's a g- perfect, like, storyline to go over to the Biden campaign and give them this banger that they used to lose to Trump. Oh, yeah. So many N-words. Yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah. That, I, I'd, be, I'd be Diamond because Diamond says all the, all the racist shit. He can be silk. She's the one bringing the fire. I didn't realize their personalities were that discreet. That, yeah, like, diamond uh, like a, and silk is just like mm-hmm, yep. Oh, the hype, the mm-hmm. hype woman. Yeah, she's like Flavor Flav. Yeah, I was hoping it was gonna be more like a good cop, <laughs> bad cop. But that's cool. Man, these people look so dead-eyed. Yes, celebrities don't have they, souls. They like sincerely don't care. Yeah, no, Jesus Christ. I imagine the, like the specific quality to this is the same quality I'd, I'd imagine. Uh, in a film that was played to me before I was sent to a re-education camp. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's fucking... It's, this is Starship Troopers. It's so bad. Man, that shit sucked. That was fucking awful. Ugh. Nasty. You guys gotta we get your a, shit together in America. Come on. What, we, what's we need going a, on a down? I want to hear a Justin Trudeau anthem, though. It would Ugh. be just... Actually, it would be... Would it be, like, 10% worse than that or about the same? I don't know. Yeah, it would... You know, like... 
when it first hit you, you'd be like, this is just okay. But the lingering shittiness of it would be even worse, I think. <laughs> it would be like uh, like they take a tragically hip song and uh, get just a bunch of Canadian celebrities to sing over top of it or something. Hell yeah. You guys want to wrap up this journey here? Yeah. Yeah. I, I figured we, we needed a palate cleanser. This is Dino Dvornik. <laughs> uh, so good. Primo, primo acid house cut out here. Uh, pimp mode 1000 with this motherfucker. He had a great disco album with his brother uh, in the early 80s, and then like nothing, and then put this put this out, and it's incredible. Uh, yeah, this is great. Like this first LP, so dope. Oh man, the synth horns. Mm. Yeah, it's a great baseline too. Like you, you are picturing yourself already, like driving down the uh, the Croatian Riviera, sunglasses on, and your Fiat, you know, uh, just like top down, sunglasses on, smoking a really shitty cigarette, and uh, blasting this motherfucker. Croatian king of funk. Oh yeah, bar none. A- aside from uh, Tiermir Papasanovic, but. He's dead, so he can't really... Or no, he's not dead, but, you know, he's not putting out no music. This guy's dead, though. Holy shit, this guy was in... Uh, Dino was in uh, a lot of TV shows uh, with his uh, his elder brother, Dean. Huh. Yeah. I think that's what he was doing between, like, uh, music uh, releases. Was, it was just, like, on TV in the late 80s. Yeah, these are, uh, like, yeah. almost like soap operas, like uh, Nashe Malamishto, Our Little Place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the first the first album they put out as brothers is is bangers only, like front to back, like incredible, like disco arrangements, uh, like just incredible power and and and, and vibe, uh, un- totally unmatched by any you know capitalist pig uh, disco. Yeah, that's right. This is uh, disco with a message. They uh, his nickname was Funk Daddy. Fuck Daddy. Okay, that, that that tracks absolutely. Do you think he could make fight song into a banger? I mean, he's dead now, so probably not. But <laughs> when he was still alive, probably. See, that's another example of the Clintons having the last laugh, just like the Queen had the last laugh on punk. Yeah, we live in a cruel world, man. Yep. Well, they're alive technically, but if the if the yeah. supply of child blood gets interrupted, it's sort of like Voldemort. <laughs> They've used arcane magics. Well, he's in a recent film, well, semi-recent film where he plays a, a drug lord in Split, which I really want to see. And is the subject of a reality show called uh, Dvornikovi, or the, the Dvornik family. <laughs> which yeah, is, I think the dad was like involved in, in the film and music industry as well, and that's how he got his end. Yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't seem like he, like a lot of other people sort of pre, uh, pre that punk explosion like a lot of other musicians became psychotic nationalists during the war and it, it doesn't seem like he did he was you know i was just reading a little bit of a uh, about him and his his biggest regret is that uh, the breakup of yugoslavia negatively affected his record sales so you know like respect <laughs> like a he's a completely he, rational thing to say he's a consummate entertainer who is focused on his craft and yeah. yeah, compared to like all the other people that were like, yeah, you know, uh, Serbs are dogs and they deserve to be put in, you know, a pit. <laughs> exactly. He's like, <laughs> my brothers, uh, we need to keep the Yugoslavian Union together and you need to keep purchasing my albums and coming to my concerts. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. We got to do a part two on disco, I think, just uh, talking about this stuff. Like there is like a parallel thread of disco and pop and dance music that goes into like very weird propagandistic nationalist spaces uh in the 90s that that's kind of one of the coolest or one of the most interesting like genre uh journeys in music i think yeah like there's such an immense wealth of of uh interesting things to say and to listen to and to experience from yugoslavia and and, uh you know the balkans um it's incredible well hopefully Hopefully by the time we circle back around for a second part, we'll have a Biden fight song to enjoy. Oh my God. I hope so. Inshallah, you know. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, Palma, it's always good to have you here to talk about uh, like niche genres. Anytime. Thanks for stopping by. Hollywood,